We put them to the test, and here's the best of the best. This is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz, and I'm backstage just uh, off the main set of Afghan Gladiator. That's that hot new TV show that gives returning vets from AFPAC a chance to go back for another tour of counterinsurgency. Exciting show, and here's the winner of tonight's contest, the former National Guardsman who already revolved through eight tours over there. It's PTSD First Class Crystal McStanley. Well, tell us something about yourself, Chris. Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, I joined the Marines when I was 18 for on-the-job training, and it sure was because, uh, like, uh, three days later, I was in AFPAC. Oh, really? want to go back, but they said I'm too used up, so I guess I showed them up. Well, I guess you did. Well, Ed, you, you must have brought home some souvenirs or something from your last tour, right? Yeah, PTSD, night sweats, the crabs, and I used to be a woman, but the Army took care of that the last time I, I looked. Oh, really? Well, well, that's sad, uh, yet there's something comfortably uh, ironic about, about that, too, Chris. But uh, tell us all about the Afghan Gladiator Challenge. Well, sure, sir. Uh, first, there's the uh, pop-up firefights. Uh-huh. I get five points for every turban, and, and I lose five for every CD. That's collateral, collateral damage. damage. I ended up just, just over even. Uh-huh. Then there's the uh, IED swamp thing. I had to drain the swamp and replace it with a girls' school uh-huh. without blowing anybody up. Yeah, and, nation building. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And then comes Bribe the Warlord stuff, Bribe you know. Warlord. It's uh-huh. T-up or get terminated on the Kabul to freaking nowhere highway. Cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, really? Glad it wasn't mine. Uh, well, me too. Say, you survived those first three t- challenges, and, and but 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 how did the big show end up? It ended up, man, in the poppy field. You know, you have to dream your way out of it. Really? It's kind of like the war itself, huh? Well, tell me, how, how'd you do it? Well, I used my big jar here of Fratricide. It's the meth-enhanced electrolyte replacement system, and it keeps me up all day. Because, yeah. see, over there, they, they, they own the day uh, and the night. It oh. really doesn't matter. Well, uh, so wait, you, you won something, though, besides the, the tour to go back. Yeah, right? I get this case of Bud Light Lime. It's enough to get the general from Paris to Berlin in my new Hummer. The Army gave you a Hummer? And just the down payment, but it's got robusted air conditioning and skin seats. Well, so cool. that's your job. It's not, not a tough one. You're just driving the general. No, huh? sir. Our orders are to clear hold and forget about it. Well, but what about winning the war? There's no winning, sir. It's uh, uh, just survival. Well, PTSD, First Class Crystal McSamley, that's just what you've done on Afghan Gladiator today. So from me to you, good luck on your way back to Stan. Thanks. By the way, all those countries over there are called Stan something. What does that mean? Did they tell you what that means? Yeah, sir, Stan is Muslim for pain. Afghani pain, Uzbekis pain, Paki pain, Missouri pain. (laughs) Well, no pain, no gain. Yeah, well, lots of one and uh, none of the other. But but it's a good war, sir. Uh I already signed up my unborn children to... Go over there and forget what I'm going to go over and uh, clear and hold. Well, it sounds like you've got it all under control, uh, Stan. And and, and this is uh, David Osmond for Radio Free Oz here at the Bob Hope Studios in Burbank, California. You've got Oz the best of the best. Let's get going. Once again, I turn to one of my favorite newspapers in the world, the Asia Times. I highly recommend you check it out if you like to read long, interesting, insightful articles. There are no sound bites in the Asia Times. Antonia Maria Costa 
head of the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, last month informed the world that Afghanistan's expected opium harvest for the 2010 season will be three quarters of last year's output, a substantial reduction of 2,600 tons. Afghanistan produces over 90% say that again, 90% of the world's illicit supply of opiates, the key ingredient of heroin, and has produced more than 6,000 tons of opium a year since 2006. I remember when we went in there, one of our goals was to obliterate the opium trade, uh, to just devastate the poppy fields and grow wheat or, or soy or who knows what. Doesn't seem to be working. A ravaging, naturally occurring blight exacerbated by climatic conditions is behind this season's failed harvest, according to UN forensic findings. In the case of Kandahar, Helmand, and Urgazan provinces, which collectively produce 80% of the total amount of opium in Afghanistan, the blight was further spread by aphids, small plant-eating bugs that can carry fungi and viruses. Now, wait a minute. Kandahar and Helmand, isn't that where all the American crusaders are clearing out the Taliban and rebuilding Afghanistan? I want to ask you a question. Why are we always fighting in areas that grow a lot of poppies? I mean, like Southwest Asia and now Afghanistan? Is it the smell of fresh poppies in the morning? Remember Ali North and Secord were in Laos around the Golden Triangle where they grew poppies, collecting money that went through the hand bank in uh, Australia and ended up here paying for the Contra's atrocities. I I really think that if you ain't got oil and you ain't got opium, we ain't interested. The UN estimates that up to 50% of Afghanistan's opium crops have been affected. Following Costa's announcement, Taliban insurgents and angry farmers in southern Afghanistan were quick to blame international forces for aerial spraying their fields to disrupt this year's harvest. Farmers claim unconfirmed spraying of their fields has also sickened livestock, children, and hurt production of legal crops like fruits and nut trees. Like we get a lot of fruits and nuts from Afghanistan. Yeah, most of the fruits and nuts in Afghanistan are fighting the Americans. The UN, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and the U.S. officials deny the claims. The Taliban's insistence on ISAF involvement and claims by farmers of finding white powder in their fields has been galvanized by a previous UNODC program funded by the United States that sought to weaponize Fusarium oxysporum, a plant fungus capable of devouring cocoa bushes, poppy fields, and marijuana plants. Well, that must have somebody there at Fort Detrick in Maryland just jumping up and down, getting wet in the pants. All three, a, a drug trifecta. Uzbekistan served as the testbed for the project, although at least two Central Asian states refused to participate, opting to manually eradicate their poppy fields. And the project was ultimately terminated in 2002 without the fungus ever being used. Efforts to deploy the virus to South America were blocked by Colombia and Peru, and even the United States prohibited aerial dispersal of the fungal agent against marijuana fields in the state of Florida, following warnings from scientists that the fungus could mutate into a hardier strain capable of attacking non-targeted crops and livestock. Oh, It's okay to put the sucker together and spray it on Afghanistan. It's okay to use Uzbekistan as a test area. 
but it's not okay to spray it on pot crops in Florida because it might make people sick and it might take out all the other legitimate crops. This is biological terrorism, and we have to face it and we have to end it. Well, Dave, back in the Great Depression, of course, this is the Greater Depression because we do everything better. Um, they used to have, there was a song that Pete Seeger, I don't know if he wrote it, but he sang it, the banks are made of marble with a guard at every door and the vaults are stuffed with silver that the workers sweated for. Well, the banks may be made of marble, but that doesn't keep them from crumbling even today. Regulators have shut down a Nevada bank, raising to 83 the number of U.S. bank failures just this year. This year, 83 banks? Yeah, the Federal Deposit Uh Insurance Corp. took over Nevada Security Bank based in Reno, with $480.3 million in assets and $479.8 million in deposits, but it failed. Uh, The failure of the bank is expected to cost the deposit insurance fund $80.9 million. So they were $80.9 million in the red. I think I have problems, you know, balancing my books. Okay, so this is a time of bank failures, but great wisdom. This is Sarah Palin. I don't like to talk about Mama Grizzly unless she says something so weird and funny that it it just makes the listeners chuckle. Go ahead. Go ahead. When asked by O'Reilly... This is, you know, this O'Reilly. Yeah. How to stop the oil leak? Sarah Palin responded, quote, the Dutch, they are known, and the Norwegian, they are known for, for dikes and for cleaning up water and for dealing with spills. This woman was almost president of the United States. For dealing with spills. The Dutch, uh-huh, they are the known. Dutch. I love the way she talks like this, you know, the <clears throat> Dutch, they are known, and the Norwegian, they are known for dikes and cleaning up water and dealing with spills next sarah come on the best minds uh, in the uh, to, to quote <laughs> to quote uh, ginsburg the best minds of our generation are out there in the middle of the gulf trying to figure out why those sheer blades didn't come together you know they had dozens of of cameras down there they've got all these undersea cameras right they made how many billions of dollars BP last year? Profit, profit. Uh, Seventeen billion. Seventeen billion dollars profit. Their daily expenses must be a billion dollars, which means that I'm sorry about all those pension funds that are have to go to hell here. But you know they could lower the price of oil and make a little less money, and still be able to spend billions of dollars cleaning it all up. You know, I mean, just a little less money. Okay, the mantra of counterinsurgency, which we hear time and time again, and Time Magazine reminds us, is clear, hold, and build. You clear an area of insurgents or people that look like insurgents or are the cousins of insurgents. You hold the area, at least during the day. They usually own the night. And then you build, you help people build their little nation, their little village, their little whatever. Well, on the ground in Marja, remember Marja, we've been there for quite a while. Uh, This is like before we go into Kandahar, which we were supposed to go into now, but now we're going to go to in September. Uh, There's been a delay basically because things are going all wrong in Marja. There is this creeping notion that the Taliban, uh, that the Marines are trying to clear away, will never completely go away. Uh, Quote, it depends on what you mean when you say clear, says a Marine officer. 
whose 180 Marines patrol some 50 square kilometers in northern Marja. 180 Marines for 50 square kilometers. Not a large idea and not a large area. And who, like other commanders, likens the enemy to vapor? They're obviously not gone, and they're not going to be gone, and I think that the ultimate challenge of counterinsurgency is to get the preponderance of individuals who might choose to fight, depending on the day, depending on what's best for them, convincing them that in the long run it's more beneficial for them not to fight. Now, okay, it, that's the counterinsurgency philosophy. Let me go over that just what it. Yeah, here we here we go. They're not going away, and here's what we got to do. Here's the ultimate challenge of counterinsurgency, right? We want to get the preponderance of individuals, whoever they are, who might choose to fight, might become insurgents, depending on the day when they're not tending the opium crop, depending on what's best for them, you know, whether they're going to have themselves beheaded by the Taliban or paid by the Americans, convincing them that in the long run it's more beneficial for them not to fight. So basically every... You know, ninth century Afghani is going to make a risk assessment. That's the U.S. military stated goal in Marja, as it is in other areas of Afghanistan's volatile south, to persuade the local population to side with the government of Afghanistan over the Taliban. Of course, we now hear that Karzai and Pakistan and a lot of other people are trying to get together with the Taliban. So it ain't working. But it's a goal easier said than carried out, and in districts like Marja, it may well be impossible. Time Magazine, when I grew up with Time Magazine, it was really right of center. It was Henry Luce, and they ruled the Republican world. And now here's Time Magazine telling us that the the operations in Marja, which are really kind of the bellwether of Afghanistan, you know, that getting it done may be impossible. To start with, Marja is a sw- is just a swath of rural farmland, largely devoid of roads, electricity, and running water, where government never really existed. The area wasn't even defined as a district. In other words, Marja, as it, curr- as it is currently labeled, didn't exist before the February offensive there. How are we going to invade that place if it doesn't have a name? Okay, we better name it, then let's invade it. Let's clear it, Hold it and build it. Bring in that government in a box. Analysts say the situation in Marja highlights a set of larger problems that extend beyond the ground-level Marine commander's control. There are all sorts of problems with this idea that foreigners can show up and suddenly impose a government from above. Uh, says Alex Stick van Linschoten, now there's a name, a Kandahar-based researcher and analyst. There are all sorts of local structures that were there before, which are now being replaced by something new, he says, of the Marine-led Shuras and NATO-designed key leaders. Uh, Marines are running Shuras? No, well, wait a minute, they're just supposed to hit the beach. That's something that's a perennial feature of the foreign military intervention in southern Afghanistan. What I can make out from Marja is that it's a confused strategy at best, he says, and one that shouldn't necessarily be left to military commanders to interpret. Political things are being carried out more or less entirely by the U.S. military, which brings problems on its own. 18, 19, 20-year-old Marines are going in and nation-building in Marja? Give me a break. 
This is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz, and I'm here at Orly Airport just outside Paris, uh, and I'm talking again with the world-famous designer Yves Saint-Stoul. David. <laughs> He's just about to travel to Abu Dhabi with a new line of collegiate fashions. Yves, what is behind all this? What's the reason? Well, David, that petite sandbox of Midi's culture has imported a famous American university, NYU, and mm. I've realized the fashion statement for the new collegians, brings the culture of the Big Apple right to the dry date. That's what they're calling the new desert campus. Aha, uh-huh, the dry date campus of NYU. Well, what, what what kind of clothes have you got? Well, for the co-ed girls, the burqa bikini, or uh-huh. the burkini, as they call it. it the it burkini. It covers huh? uh, what Abu Dhabians say are the most lustful parts of the body, the eyes, the lips, the hair, with the black drapes. Oh, well, yes, but what about the, the breasts and the, you know, the pubic area? Uh, in Abu Dhabi, those, those body parts do not exist. Ah. You see, the emir has declared the bra to be un-Islamic. So first I burn the bra like Judy Chicago, mm-hmm. and then I ban the bra, mm-hmm. and I finally abandon the bra and designed with my Chinese partner, Wu Wei, the abandon bra. True weightless fashion. Weightless, I see. You certainly will. <laughs> well, but now, what, what have you got for the men? I've designed the turbo turban. You know, the Abu Dhabians like to race their platinum-plated Audubon Mercedes top-down around the dunes, so with the turbo turban, you are guaranteed to keep your head and make a fashion statement on the test. <laughs> Same time. Well, and your famous footwear. Ah, for men and women, a special line of purity shoes. Very purity. big over there. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. They contain no mirrors mm-hmm. for looking up the burqa. Uh-huh. And they have not even one page of any holy book inside, mm-hmm. and the heels are filled with hot sand for comfort and running away from terrorist activities. Oh, and what about sunglasses? I know that's a big line of yours. Certainment. Yeah. I have designed for women the garbo bands, the iconic eye coverings of solid gold that are completely opaque when they are looked at by men. And for the men? Huzoramic aviators. Look at these. They look so cool all the time. And they look good with any kind of mustache. Oh, yeah. Oh, they look very nice with mine, I I have to say. I look positively Middle Eastern. Well, what's your advice uh, to new students there at Abu Yu? Well, they should bring their London fog along because the average daily temperature is a lucky 108. Mm -hmm. Well, I must go on as a Royal Abu Dhabi Airlines as a special flight for my models and me. I I suppose uh, they're all students. Of course. NYU features uh, degrees in gold and oil management, anti-democratic law, and abstract art history. Who knows, with a diploma from Abu Dhabi, you might become I'm a minister of culture. A minister of culture? Is that that a religious degree? It is now. (laughs) Well, this is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz. I'm here at Orly Airport in Paris. McNewspaper reports that a Christian group is denouncing Barack Obama's salute to families headed by two fathers in the recent president's Father's Day proclamation. The proclamation says, quote, nurturing families come in many forms. And children may be raised by a father and mother, a single father, two fathers, a stepfather, a grandfather, or caring guardian. American Family Association President Tim Wildman says, This is the first time in our nation's history that a president has used Father's Day as an excuse to promote the radical homosexual agenda and completely redefine the word family. What a putz! Has Tim ever encountered a same-sex parent household, or is he just paying his mortgage and hiding his hidden evil tendencies by railing against caring men who choose to raise a child? 
But White House uh, uh, Deputy Press Secretary Bill Burton says Obama was simply trying to be inclusive and notes that the president used similar language in his Mother's Day proclamation. That May 7th proclamation said nurturing families include those headed by two mothers. Obama recently hosted a gay pride event at the White House. Okay, that will give the American Family Association a, a chance to rail at gay families again. Uh, oh, two mothers. Instead of noting that single-sex parented families have a lower divorce rate and abuse rate than heterosexual parented families, it does make you wonder. It's a sad story. This is from the, the gray lady. It's, uh, it's about Mr. Dangfence, Senator Dangfence, uh, Less than two years after he was defeated by Barack Obama, nothing seems quite the same for Senator John McCain, who has gone from being his party's candidate for president, rallying a thousand supporters at a Florida football stadium, to furiously defending his Senate seat before 60 recession-weary residents in a Hampton Inn in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Oh, boy. Oh, oh I wouldn't want to go there and play in front of that crowd. You know, I, I wish I could feel sorry for John, but he is the man that basically made it possible for Sarah Palin to be president of the United States. He said, it's okay with me. I don't care. The world's at risk. I'll do anything to be president. I'll bring this. This She is a bimbo in the, in the best sense. She is a, a truly charismatic, ignorant bimbo, and she was going to be president of the United States. Okay, gone are the jovial back and forth with veteran biker dudes at state fairs, long bus rides. Straight talk, straight talking through South Carolina, watching the U.S. Open with Lindsey Graham and visions of party dominance in Washington. Remember those days? Gone are his efforts to engage Mr. Obama directly. Instead, he portrays himself as taking on the status quo Quo of Mr. Obama's Washington. Well, that's a status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. his new position is one of defense. He's fending off a primary fight from the right flank of his party in the form of former Representative J.D. Hayworth, as well as withering criticism of his former position on immigration, which, in fact, he was just fair-minded, right? That's too, that's too bad. You're, you're a Republican with a fair-minded record on immigration. You're going down. Fair-minded record on anything. He also seems to be engaged in a battle within himself hewing to the high road, as he has historically done, but at times unleashing the anger he seems to feel about the outcome of the 2008 race. I don't think bringing us Sarah Palin is the high road in any possible way. And he's angry about not getting elected after what happened in 2000? No, he is. Come on. He wasn't elected. Yeah. On the trail these days, he has less of the energy generated by a run for the White House, less of that energy, and the candidate often seems to be striking a different tone. Back in 2008, remember the town hall meeting when presidential candidate McCain snatched the microphone away from that older woman who referred to Mr. Obama as an Arab? Oh, yes. And pretend no, no, ma'am. He's a decent family man with whom I happen to have some disagreements. Now, the other day, in front of 100 people at the Parker Community Senior Center oh. in western Arizona, where it's hotter than Hooker and, you know, and, and, and Hellmouth, a man who de- identified himself as a Vietnam veteran said, I want to know what this guy, what's his name? Let me see. Hussein, Barack Hussein Obama is doing about our health care. Senate candidate McCain's face flashed with brief amusement mm-hmm. and then he gazed towards the scuffed floor and settled into a grimace well we we all want to be respectful to the president of the united states he said 
Oh, there that brings that's that's that that's brings respect back in. That uh-huh. that, that we is, all want to be respectful. That is as that is as good as he gets. You that's know? it. Huh? That's it. That's it. And he's running. He's running against a, a, a right wing talk show wingnut. So if he's beaten, he's going to be beaten by right wing trash. This is this is what he's been brought down to. It seems to me with all of this hangdogness that's going along with it, he doesn't even want to be senator. What, no. what does he go to? No, the honorable thing for McCain to do would be to retire, get himself out of this, be an honorable man. Uh, maybe get a job in the next uh, Obama administration. You know, I mean, they got places for Republicans if you if you're copacetic. Well, you know, it, the the odd thing is though, you'd say, well, he is one of the last of the sane Republicans, but he does all these insane things. He he goes down to the fence with a with a guy that looks like a stormtrooper and and talks about bring the army down here and we can take care of these immigrants and push them through. Finish this dang fence. He's he is a I think he may be bipolar. Could be bipolar. I got the solution, though, for the fence. What's that? I figured it out. No. Well, if all of the uh, the, the liberals, the left-wingers, the do-gooders, the bleeding hearts— All them. All them. The wusses. I, yeah. I, the wusses. I want to see the wusses down there on the, on the border yeah. between uh, uh, Mexico and Arizona. Right. And I want to see them holding hands. Yes. And I want to hear them sing. Kumbaya. Kumbaya or we shall overcome. Either one would keep any immigrant out of the United States. Little bozo sitting on a bus. One joined the Navy, now there's nine of us. Nine little bozo sitting in the draft. One went crazy and the rest all laughed. Eight dumb bozos riding in a van. They can't get there, then no one can. Everyone's a bozo on this bus. Zips and Bean are sitting next to us. Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Just some berserker who's prepared to die We left eight stupid bozos sitting in a tub One got poached and had to leave the club Seven mellow bozos with their brains all fried One threw in the towel and the rest all cried Six frightened bozos tied up in a spot One dove out the window but the rest got caught Everyone's a bozo on this bus Zips and Bean are sitting next to us Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Or just some berserker who's prepared to die? Five red-nosed bozos burning in the sand Things got so hot that one joined the band That left four and there ain't no more The driver got in and closed the door Four angry bozos, no place to hide The bus pulls out and we're on the ride Well, there was never any doubt that the pole would make it They kicked out the driver and they said, let's, let's take it. it They can afford to be bozos on a bus they ain't afraid to use the word us 
One thing sure for the final four Then no, this bus won't go to war Well, everyone's a bozo on this bus Zips and Peter sitting next to us Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Just some berserker who's prepared to die Convinced? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I don't know. I'm gonna have to see it again before I decide. Yeah. Well, whatever. The bus is over there. If you don't want to go. Oh, you mean the bus that isn't going? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, I better not get on then. No. Oh, I'm come on. Go. Follow come on. me. Let's go. Okay, Dave. I mean, I've always had a Jones for you know. Orrin Hatch. He always, to me, seems to be the devil. You know, the the dapper devil. And he's, he's quiet. You know, he just waits until, like, he just can't hold it in anymore. Well, Utah voters have reacted enthusiastically to Senator Orrin Hatch's legislation to drug test the unemployed and those receiving other forms of government cash assistance. Yeah. Lose your job, get drug tested. He says, mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying, I wonder who they are. Hey, this is him saying this. Hey, is, hey, hey he uh-huh. it's about time. Why do we keep giving money to people who are going to use it on drugs instead of their families? Hatch said. So now here's the thinking. You lose your job uh-huh. because you want to take drugs. Okay. Yes, I certainly followed that line of reasoning. Yeah. Yep. Now, my, Thanks, one of my Senator answers Hatch. is, hey, Orrin. Okay. Hey, Orrin. <laughs> hey, hey. How about testing all the congressional interns for drugs, pregnancy, and STDs? And how about testing, say, the DNA of your Utah supporters for polygamy? You know? You never oh, know. That's a good and idea. I'm sure if there yep, was a yep. test for heartlessness and mean-spiritedness, he'd go right off the charts. Wow. Look at him peak, man. Look at him peak. Orrin Hatch, he wants it. So this so you come into the office, right? And you're going to you're going to collect your unemployment check. And, pee, and pee in and, a bucket. And, and pee in a bucket. Pee, pee in this bucket. And the goal, he says, is not to punish the unemployed. Oh. He doesn't know any of them, so how can he yeah, punish people he yeah, doesn't know? Yeah. It's to get users into treatment. Well, one of the ways to get them using is to have them get unemployed and not give them money, but give them drug tests instead. He said he has gotten little feedback. This is what I love. This He has gotten little feedback from his colleagues, however. Senators Bob Bennett of Utah, just as just as conservative, as, and Bob Corker of Tennessee and Scott Brown of Massachusetts all told the Huffington Post they don't have an opinion yet uh-huh. on on his measure and we'll have to and this is always the great cop up they're going to have to study the language study I. the language find mm-hmm. some way to avoid associating themselves with this cockamamie bill now Senator Barbara Mikulski of Maryland said I think it's a punitive attitude who's going to pay for the test what's the point of the test you you know what do you want to drug Drug test people who have lost their job. And Hatch said, now this is it. This mm-hmm. is roundabout. Mm-hmm. This is so circular, it makes me dizzy. He said, the test would be paid for with money saved by not paying benefits. Any money's left over would go to help the states with the drug testing and so forth. And if there's any surplus, it goes to pay off the deficit. 
man. That's that's better than the dollar seventy five they've added to the price of cigarettes in New York City. Yeah, and just as punitive. My man Carl Levin, the senator from Michigan, and Jeff Merkley, Democrat of Oregon, are the principal authors of legislation to strictly limit banks and other financial firms to to make speculative trades with their profits. Sounds like common sense to me. I mean, you know, we used to go down to Mr. Brown at the bank. You didn't expect him to be in, in the back trading naked derivative credit swaps, you know, while he was shooting himself up with Afghani White. The idea originated, this idea of keeping the banks from making speculative deals with their profits, it originated with former uh, Fed chair and the Obama economic advisor, Paul Volcker, this guy, he's about six foot nine, who strongly backs the Levin Merkley proposal. But they're fighting Wall Street and an array of Democrats negotiating the final bill who want to include a loophole, right? A potentially devastating loophole that would allow these banks to invest in high-risk hedge funds. It's insanity. Aides and members insist it's not just banks pushing for the exemption. They claim that political math in the Senate has given Senator Scott Brown, you know, he's the Republican that got elected in Massachusetts, who supports the loophole, gives him veto power over the entire reform bill. Brown was the 60th vote for the Senate's legislation and has threatened to bolt if the loophole isn't included. Brown's defection would rob Democrats of the supermajority they need to break a filibuster. That's if the if the re- Republicans really want a filibuster over Wall Street reform at this time with the way that the populace feels about Wall Street reform. It's just part and parcel of the GOP self-destructing in front of our eyes. I mean, you know, Senator Sessions, our man from Alabama, who said, well, I don't think I'm even going to attend the Kagan hearings. Now, he's the ranking minority member on the Judiciary Committee because there's another 1,300 pages of, uh, of stuff from the Clinton White House that they won't release. Yeah, because of... Uh, confidentiality. He has gotten 17,000 other pages on what she's done and what she said. But this is all part of the NOP destroying themselves in front of our eyes, you know. So, okay. So Levin says, on the other hand, he doubts Brown is the new decider. He says, I assume there's going to be some other Republicans that will vote for a a conference report on financial reform. He assumes that. That may be a difficult assumption. This is the first group of of opposing politicians that have voted in a block, 100%, no, almost all the time. But Levin says, it's hard for me to believe that in this setting, that there's not going to be some Republicans, at least, that will vote for reform of Wall Street. If that's true, it means that one person, one Republican, i.e. Brown, is not going to be able to have that kind of impact. And in a bid to limit Brown's leverage, pro-reform groups are pressuring Russ Feingold, who cast a protest vote against financial reform from the left to support the final legislation. They want him to support it if a strong Volcker rule is included in the conference report. And there's every reason to believe that Russ will do that because the, the Volcker rule really is, I mean, that's the line in the sand, okay? It's a line that we have to cross. Hi there, Pete. You know, that, that music behind us makes me feel lustful in my heart. What was it Jimmy Carter said? He, lust in lust, his heart. Lust yep. in his heart. People just didn't understand the man. He was just, he was too too Baptist for this country. Yeah, you know, and not, not so conservative, just, just Baptist. Yeah. Just kind of one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, right. And one was enough. Yeah, I guess so. Well, didn't get a, didn't 
reelected anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I got something on fears for you. You know, everybody's afraid of something. That's the way the country works these days. Right. Fear them up. Fear them up. Right. Well, they took a um, uh, uh, one of those surveys in, the, in England yeah. as to what the top uh, Phobia. fears, phobias were in, in England. And yeah. here's the top three, Pete. See what you think. Uh, number one was spiders. Really? Yep. Number wow. one, no, uh, spiders. Number two was needles. Uh-huh. And I don't mean Needles, California. Either. No, you don't. Ne- spiders and needles. Okay, okay, put those together. Okay, here's number three. Yeah. Clowns. Oh, clown phobia is always in the top ten. Doesn't surprise me. In America, it's not spiders. The number one phobia is talking in front of a group of strangers. It comes in first over drowning, burning to death, and falling off a building. That's absolutely true. You know, that's just just where Americans are at. They would rather burn to death than stand up and talk to a group of strangers. Well, not us, Pete, because that's what we're doing right now. Isn't my it? fear yeah. is standing up and talking to a group of spiders that have needles and look like clowns. But I'm a complicated kind of guy. Talking about complications, let yeah. me give you just briefly the background on this whole, you know, McChrystal's gone. Hey, McChrystal's mm-hmm. gone. One more round. Broke the McChrystal ceiling. Yes, he did. And they replaced him with David. David Petraeus, who fainted when he heard that he'd been replaced. And there's that picture of him, you know, appearing with Biden and Obama. He's being propped up from behind. Uh-huh. He's actually out cold and his eyes have been... Maybe it's just one of those cutouts that they have. Could could be. Well, you know, not, nothing, no, no way to, no better way to keep your uniform clean and without creasing than just be a cutout. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uniforms. All right. So All right. why, what is it that prompted McChrystal to get into the kind of space where he could give that kind of interview? And, you know, when Rolling Stone called him and said, oh, here are the quotes, yada, yada, he said, okay, yeah, okay. It's like, you know, mass suicide. So it turns out that the Rolling Stone guy was to have an interview with him in Paris uh, uh, on the plane to Berlin. He was going to, like, take this trip. And, you know, it turned out because the volcano erupted, you know, the Iceland volcano erupted, they had to take a bus, no plane, a bus from Paris to Berlin. And they brought along cases of Bud Light Lime, which is McChrystal's drink of choice. And the reporter says they drank the entire journey, everybody on board, and he became looser and looser and looser, and that's when he began to let it flow, just like any other drunken soldier. Well, you know, why? It may be that he wanted to get out of this job in Afghanistan. Yeah. And the best way to do that was to get drunk and mouth off to a to a, a Rolling Stone guy. Rolling he, Stone. He must have known what he was. Hasn't he ever? No, probably hasn't read Rolling Stone. Gee, that's um. They ought to institute that at West Point. The the Rolling Stone you know, awareness awareness class. class. Yeah. yeah. Don't get yourself on the cover of Rolling Stone. Lately I've been feeling old Feeling in my bones Feeling in my fingertips, you know I am Feeling in my toes Don't feel much good for nothing anymore And I think it shows And another sunset Feeling old 
Got a wife who loves me She tells me all the time I Got a boy who's good to me You know he would Give me his last dime And I don't understand it all I've been thinking about a life of crime And another sunset Is a homicidal menopausal ditch I've fallen here? And I'm feeling suicidal. I think it's time to sink or swim. Yesterday, he used to play and sing. Said he let the music die, you know, couldn't play a goddamn thing. And inside, he looked so sad, like a part of him was gone. And it's another sunset. So there you have it, Pete. It looks like uh, NYU is off to the Middle East, off to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, well, there could be some social issues. I mean, social it, issues. It may not be – the, the classrooms may be cool. They've got the what they call the – They Abu have Dhabi. to be cool. It's 108 there. I, they they yeah. have the Abu Dhabi Louvre. The Guggenheim is going there. I mean, they're spending zillions of dollars, and, 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 and you know, Americans are going there to study with others. But, well, close by, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay, judicial officials say a Saudi court has convicted four women and 11 men for mingling at a party and sentenced them to flogging and prison terms. The men, who are between 30 and 40, and three of the women, who are under the age of 30, were sentenced to an unspecified number of lashes and one to two-year prison terms each. The fourth woman, a minor, was sentenced to 80 lashes and was not sent to prison. The ruling was handed down at a court in the northern town of Ha'il. The, I, I can't pronounce all those glottal stops. Yep. The officials say the police saw the group partying until dawn last month. That's not the regular police. Those are the social police. Those well, are no, the police, aren't they? That's, no, no, that's in Iran. They got, you got the social police. No, in, in Saudi Arabia, it's just the regular police. No, they police. come around there, too. There's women in, totally burkaed up, and they come uh, and, and bust you if you, you know, you're showing your toes. The, they, she got 80 lashes. 80 lashes. The, the, the minor for partying. So if you're going to be going to NYU Abu Dhabi Dhabi Dhabi, 
Just cool it, man. Just be real no careful. No partying down. No partying down at the universe. That's going to be tough for those. They've really got a book book learning yeah. noses inside their books. They can't uh, can't go and have a have a, 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 a beer bud, or two. Bud Light next no, door. And, and no, no blackout drinking. What, what's college without blackout drinking? Now this story takes me back to the Kennedy administration where I was an intern and I worked on the Senate Subcommittee on Migratory Labor. I was uh, uh, what you call a, a writing legislative assistant, whatever it was. And, and we had to put together six different bills uh, that had to do with migratory labor, um, you know, good working conditions, good housing, health, transportation, and uh, child labor laws. We wrote them all, and the Southern Democrats and the Republicans got together and defeated them all. Well, now here it is, 2010, and something's happening. The Obama administration has opened a broad campaign of enforcement against farmers who employ children and underpay workers, hiring hundreds of investigators and raising fines for labor and wage violators. This is the new New Deal. A flurry of fines and mounting public pressure on blueberry farmers is only the opening salvo, Labor Secretary Hilda L. Solis said in an interview. Now, Ms. Solis, the daughter of an immigrant farm worker, aha, said she was making enforcement of farm labor rules a priority. You go, girl. At the same time, Congress is considering whether to rewrite the law that still allows 12-year-olds to work on farms during the summer with almost no limits. The blueberry crop has been drawing workers to eastern North Carolina for decades. But as the harvest got underway in late May, growers stung by bad publicity and federal fines were scrambling to clean up their act, even going beyond the current law to keep all children off the fields. I like that. The growers were also ensuring that the workers, mainly Hispanic immigrants, would make at least the minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Quote, I picked blueberries last year and my four-year-old brother tried to, but he got stuck in the mud, said Miguel, a 12-year-old child of migrants. The inspectors find the farmers, and this year, no kids are allowed. So his four-year-old won't be stuck in the blueberry mud this year. Again, good news. Child and rights advocates said they were encouraged by these signs of federal resolve, but they were also waiting to see how wide and lasting the changes would be. Across the country, hundreds of thousands of children under 18 toil each year harvesting crops from apples to onions, according to a recent report by Human Rights Watch, detailing hazards to their health and schooling and criticizing the Labor Department for past inaction. Soon after dawn, the vans stream through the roads, ferrying migrant workers from trailer camps to blueberry farms, where they pluck the fragile fruits for 10 hours or more a day. Last year, the fields were filled with children, so this is encouraging, said Emily Drakeage, North Carolina Regional Coordinator of the Association of Farmworker Opportunity Programs, a national network of state and private agencies. Beyond barring children from the fields, growers here also spruced up migrants' trailers and barracks and adopted scanners to record the buckets of berries collected by each worker. Now, wait a minute. They spruced up the trailers and barracks. What? They deloused them? They, uh, what? They put doors and windows on them? They kept people from dying of carbon monoxide poisoning? And they put scanners, so actually when you pick a bucket of berries, you get paid for a bucket of berries, not for every other bucket of berries. Jerry, don't go jogging. 
California Attorney General Jerry Brown, former governor, Governor Moonbeam, Mm -hmm. says that his recent comment comparing GOP rival Meg Whitman's ad campaign to Nazi propaganda was off the record and should not have been reported. Nothing's off the record these days, This Jerry. was just a private conversation, Brown said. Nobody had a pencil. Nobody said, by the way, is this a statement that you're making to the public? What well, if you keep looking for pencils, you know, you're, you're, you got a problem, Jerry. <laughs> That's why he was governor 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah, Governor Pencil. A radio reporter in San Francisco reported that Brown harshly criticized the billionaire former eBay CEO's tactic of bombarding Californians with political ads supporting her run for governor. Governor, you know, she's buying her way in, of course. She's yeah. going to spend $120 million of her own fortune, which is like, what, a little over 10% uh, to buy her way into the governor's mansion. She will not succeed. You know, she said, he said, by the time she's done with me, two months from now, I'll be a child molesting dot, dot, dot. Brown was also quoted as saying, she'll have people believing whatever she wants about me. Okay, it's like Goebbels, Brown said, comparing Whitman with the minister of propaganda in Adolf Hitler's Third Reich. Goebbels invented this kind of propaganda. He took control of the whole world. She wants to be president. That's her ambition. The first woman president. That's what this is all about. Brown has not disputed the accuracy of the report. He says that he bumped into reporter Doug Suvern. Uh, Sovereign was biking and Brown was jogging and uh, they had a little chat and it ended up on the national news. Oh boy. I, the, the more open mics and, um, uh, you know, casual conversations that aren't supposed to be reported these days, you, you can never say anything off the record, Jerry. You can't say anything off the record. But, you know, the interesting thing is that the paper had to explain, I, we're so old, who Goebbels was. Yes, they did. The, well, no, actually, yes, he had to tell everybody who his reference was because they wouldn't know who he, Goebbels he, was. He, Jerry, yeah. They must think it was turkey talk or something like that. But here's the thing. Will Meg Whitman live up to his, you know, his description? Will she indeed go Goebbels on Brown during this election? Because it's going to become very obvious very soon that he's the wiliest guy in the world, well, the smartest guy. You know, there's there's this crowd of women trying to become the first whatever, you know, the first grizzly in charge and they're they're all they're all you know i guess that the the liberal women the women you would like to see running for president are all like hillary clinton yeah they're all kind of standing in line waiting to be supreme court judges which is not a bad job for you hillary yeah well hillary's gonna put on the robe you can bet the deal is okay i'll go out and fix Bush's mistakes abroad, if I can. I'll try to heal some of the bleeding wounds, and then you put the robe on me. Yeah, yeah. And Carly we, Fiorina yeah, right, the, and Meg Whitman, both billionaires or something like it, take all their money after breaking the glass ceiling and then break into politics. Breaking the glass ceiling. The presidency is not what's awaiting for you on the 33rd floor. Give me immortality or give me death. That's the motto here at Ralph's Ball Sports, new and used body shop in the city of the future. Hi, friend, Ralph Sportsport here to tell you that everybody must die, but you don't have to be there when it happens. That's why we're having a great going on a body sale. Yes, you can live forever while your friends fall apart around you like rotten fruit. And here's how. 
Least an organ or limb from our headless body farm. It's made in America from Americans. Enter the new century with these exclusive clone-ons. Nap Velour designer jeans, deluxe follicle hair mat grafting with upgraded media-sensitive stimulated wrapper filler, rear roll, non-glossy carbon-intensified glue guards, power moons, and tinted tint grill spoilers in slash dash or faux flannel. So come on down to Ralph's Ballsport City of the Future and do it today because there may not be a tomorrow. Well, you know, during this whole immigration thing, one of the things we've all been saying is, well, okay, it's not really the immigrants, right? It's the employers that give them the jobs that make this all possible. No jobs. Nobody's going to come over here uh, to not earn money. They can do that by staying home. So now residents of a small Nebraska town, it's called Fremont, have passed a controversial law aimed at ridding the town of illegal immigrants, despite warnings that it could mean higher taxes and cuts in city services. So they're ready to sacrifice. Wait a minute. Now, how could getting rid of illegal immigrants lead to cutting services? The ordinance, which passed by 57 to 43, would fine landlords and employers in Fremont who house or hire illegal immigrants. So Mm -hmm. that's the deal, right? Uh, Okay. Officials in the town of 25,000 just west of Omaha, isn't everything west of Omaha, say it would cost up to... To $200,000 a year to enforce the law and up to a million to fight expected legal challenges. You've got to take a step, said Jerry Hart. These people are eloquent. You've got to take a step, said Jerry Hart, a leader of the petition drive to put the ordinance on the ballot. Hispanics make up about 8% of the town's population compared to about 4% in 2000. So they've doubled. Uh-huh. The newspaper they're now said, visible. Yeah they're, yeah, they're visible. Yeah. yeah, they're brown. The newspaper says immigrants drawn largely by jobs at meatpacking plants just outside the city limits account for about 85% of the town's growth this decade. So nobody's coming, nobody's leaving, except the immigrants are coming into work on those awful, you know, Upton Sinclair-like, you know, uh, working conditions in those meatpacking plants. Even if they keep it scrubbed, it's pretty gruesome. Oh, it is. So now uh, you're going to, landlords can't rent to them and nobody can hire them. So they're going to have to go back, back to Mexico. No, they aren't going to go back to Mexico. This is where these people are really wrong. How come? Well, because America is a land of immigrants, okay? I've heard a lot of people say that, uh, uh, you know, on the left, I've heard the the phrase uh, that there is no such thing as an illegal, that everybody's legal, all people are legal. The only reason they're illegal is because, what, they... They didn't get their passport stamped at the border. Is that, that the they difference? They don't even have a passport. They so don't they, they have They didn't even get their hand stamped Nothing. at the border. Nothing. They can't go back because they didn't get their hand stamped. That's right. Because well, it's you know once out, they can't come back into the rock concert called America because so, no stamp. I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the, the wilds of, where was it, Nebraska? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not familiar, you know, with the There are the no meat, wilds. Meat it's, it's one long plane. Flat thing yeah. with meatpacking plants yeah, on and, it. and our webmaster. But I do know what it looks like at the top of, let's say, Mulholland Drive and Coldwater Canyon. Yeah. There's a taqueria truck up there, and there's about 200 guys from south of the border who are cleaning everybody's houses, making everybody's hibiscuses look gorgeous, making all that grass just the perfect green and the perfect short. Are these people illegal? Am I supposed to check with this guy that I'm going to hire to to fix my rose bushes, am I going to? Is it is it 
interesting to me or is it important to me or, or is it some sort of national emergency that I'm going to say, Pedro, well, here's where's your green card? Well, that would be legitimate if there were a lot of Sean's and Jason's standing. They're also looking for the job, but they ain't there because culturally they're not supported to do this kind of work. There is no television shows, you know, with guys named Sean and Jason and whatever they're and, and, and the Tiffany's and Beverly's doing scut work. They're all, you know, uh, running around with tons of disposable income with no no visible source or of, they of just employment. they just don't want a job you know mowing your lawn well it's not a zero-sum world just because oz is coming to an end doesn't mean it's not going to be reborn again tomorrow but here we go a little tang and then we're on our way all right this um this little tang is called a clear wet dawn seems like the right way to start the week yep Cool fields, the thin rain stops. Spring in every direction. Blue pond swarms with fish. Thrushes sing in the green branches. Flowers look tear-streaked. Grass in high meadows bends level. Through the bamboo in the still stream, you can see the last shreds of cloud scattering in the dawn wind. Well, that sounds like Whidbey Island uh, summer, you know, it just keeps on raining. Well, thanks for being with Radio Free Oz today. The Oz team thanks you. Peter Bergman, that's me, your host. David Osmond, your co-host. John Cummings, who just advises us on things electronic. Phil Fountainhead of the Oz Design Group. Tom Gedwillow in charge of the web. Chaz Glass, Mr. Finance, Dave Maloney, Mr. Sound, Bill McIntyre, Mr. Producer, and Scott Wilde, King of Social Media. Catch you again soon. <laughs>